0: All right, grace to you, each and every one. Peace be with you. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I I am mindful of the fact that um, people don't need just another piece of our mind. They need the very peace of the mind of Christ. So let's be giving that to them today. All right. So uh, I will commit to that. And I thank you in advance for committing to that spirit as well. Uh, People don't need another piece of our mind. Deep breath. They need the peace of the mind of Christ. And we are the people. who are Easter people, who know the reality of grace, who have been saved uh, in God's grace, and who come to him by faith. And so let's be people who extend that kind of grace not only to one another, but to the world that is just so desperately in need this morning. All right, so um, here's a here's a question that was raised by a couple of headlines, a uh, question raised for me. Again, I don't have any settled thoughts about this either, uh, but how should schoolwork be counted or not counted, and how should students be graded? during uh, this government shutdown of schools? Um, Should everyone simply be promoted to the next grade? Like we didn't we didn't do the requisite number of school days and we certainly didn't cover the the quote unquote required material for a particular year. There's going to be no standardized testing of any kind. So should we just promote everybody to the next grade um, and start next school year as if this never happened? Um, Should we pick up where we left off? with the expectation that some kids did the work that they were assigned and others did not. I mean, these are some of the big questions, and they have implications not only for students who've been very diligent, but also um, as we consider that some kids have done nothing this entire time. Uh, and, And that has a real impact on the future of public, private, online, charter, homeschool, education, colleges and universities. The California university system has already suspended the requirement for GPA and SAT or ACT tests for all those seeking admission to the system in the fall of 2021, which makes me ask the question, how then are they going to evaluate um, the, the applications of students who want to uh, enroll, who want to become students in the, in the University of California system if they're not going to use GPAs and they're not going to use any sort of standardized tests? Good question. Uh, in Green Bay, they have adopted a hybrid system that sounds, I don't know, pretty legit to me. The Green Bay School Board has approved an alternative way of grading students for this school year. Uh, They're going to utilize a hybrid model for uh, grades 7 through 12. Um, They're going to allow parents and students to decide between a pass, no grade, COVID-19, or a letter grade. And so you could either just, you know, take a pass, right, and you don't get a letter grade. Or if you are uh, a student who is interested in getting a letter grade because you want it counted toward the honor roll status or um, you know or the ter- determination of scholarships for the future, then you're going to want to you know be diligent and work for that letter grade here's the challenge in San Francisco, the school board is looking to just give everyone an A, but not everyone deserves or earns an A and so if in San Francisco they just give everyone an A and in Green Bay, you have to really work really hard to earn an A you're not going to be on a par when you're competing for scholarships later on. So you can see the challenges that are presented in all of this. Um, so uh, I just want everybody out there to be doing the work that's necessary. Uh, grade A work. Let's do some grade A work today. No matter what your work is today, let's do it at, 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 at with excellence and diligence, and let's do so as if unto the Lord. Whatever work you do today, whether you're a student or whether or not you are a parent who has suddenly become an educator— um, let's do our labor today. Let's do our work as unto the Lord. Next up, I've got Peter Kapsner. He and I are going to talk about this. I don't know. There's a media milestone that we've apparently passed 11 years of Modern Family. I'll have to admit, I had to even look up who the characters were, but that conversation is next here on Morning with Carmen. My my prayer warriors are stomping around now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mary Rose, thank you, Susan, thank you, Blair, thank you, Larry. Thank you for my prayer warriors who are now stomping around. I appreciate it. Um, I need it this morning, and thank you. Peter Kapsner, welcome back, man.
1: Hey, Carmen. I'm glad to hear that the prayer warriors are on the move. That's something that I think we underestimate greatly uh, to our own peril in God's kingdom about how much prayer matters, right?
0: I need them every day out there pounding their shields like right I, get it. <laughs> I like it so I need the prayer warriors on the warpath uh lifting me up every day. I love what I do um and uh and and yet there are some days it's a little more challenging than other days. Um sure. not not of course when you're here because it's just absolute <laughs> pure delight.
1: Oh, well, you know, Carmen, I I appreciate that I I feel that 100% it's so sincerity fun. as you say it.
0: It's so fun. Okay. So, it Peter, how did we get from Father's no Father knows best like I remember that show how did we get from yeah. father knows best to modern family and then how is it possible we've we've already like so exhausted ourselves with eleven years of modern family that we need something that's like postmodern
1: yeah <laughs> it's a great question and I have to confess up front that I am not uh, a modern family groupie in any sense of the word. it's just not a show that has ever appealed to me to want to sit down and watch and and that doesn't mean if there's listeners that have really enjoyed it that that you know I'm coming with any sort of judgment about it, but but it certainly um, represents a significant break from the days of Leave It to Beaver, Beaver and Father Knows Best and some of what you referenced. And I think what's interesting about that, Carmen, is Hollywood script writers, uh, and I have a friend of mine who is uh, who has been deep in sort of the Hollywood script world and and what is required to be able to, to get a successful, quote unquote, show, at least successful by metrics of Nielsen ratings and people watching these shows is you have to be sort of edgy. You, you, you can't just simply represent society as is. You have to somehow break the mold so that people then kind of have interest in watching. And and whether we remember back or not, the Huxtable family and the Cosby show, they really broke the mold when that came out because we were still in the kind of the throes of the civil rights movement. We were still trying to understand what integration of different races might have looked like. Uh, there was a lot of stereotypes about African-American people and what they may or may not have been capable of that were really awful stereotypes. And now we're being presented with uh, the Huxtable family, and Cliff and Claire are a physician and a lawyer in a very successful borough in New York City. And and that broke the mold, and, and it changed people's minds, and it and it shifted away from what people saw as, I guess, quote-unquote normal. And, and Modern Family did much the same thing in starting 11 years ago, it would have been incredibly edgy uh, to have started with a gay couple being sort of the primary foundational relationship of the show. And of course, that got everybody's attention. That's not something that we see. That's not just representing what's going on in the world. That's somehow pushing the envelope as scriptwriters are going to want to do so that they can gain eyeballs and, and ratings. And from there, the family just continued to evolve and they brought in new forms of families and new forms of love and. And it really captured the attention of people because it was different and, uh, and, and it normalized some things because that's the other thing that, that shows do, especially ongoing television shows, much more so than movies, is they have a capacity to normalize new behaviors and new ways of being. And sometimes that's good. With the Huxtable family, that was a really important normalization moment to to move away from some of the stereotypes and generalizations that persisted. Uh, in this case, the normalization, I would say, is much more akin to like the show Friends, where w- when you watch a, a TV show that has 200-plus episodes, like Friends or, or like Modern Family, you really become attached to those characters. They become part of your life. You're emotionally invested in the ups and downs of their lives, and you begin to sort of model in some subtle and sometimes overt ways your own life after theirs. And after all, if, if this gay couple can be having a normal relationship on Modern Family in terms of quote-unquote normal and and they're adopting kids and they're experiencing the highs and lows of life just like I do, pretty soon everything has shifted. And And so I think that's, that's a long answer to your question, how do we get there? But we get there because scriptwriters consistently need to push the envelope to take something outside of the norm and then increasingly make it normal.
0: So as you have been um... – you know, reminding me of some of these other shows i 've made kind of a little bit of a uh, you know sort of a progression over time list, so you know we had we had leave it to beaver and father's father knows best in some of the shows during that time period and then we do have um a season during which we have like the Cosby show and the and the huxtable family um and then it feels like we do make this shift as a culture away from. The family itself to um, friends, Seinfeld, so the way of putting a yep. group of people together to whom you are not uh, in any sort of familial relationship, but sort of the creation of a sense of family. It, it occurs to me that we then transition to series where that even moves out of the context of uh, of the apartment, right, into yep. the office, literally the office or Parks and Rec, like— We don't even we haven't even just moved away from having a network of friends. We've actually gotten to the place where we think that our primary relationships are at work. And that may help us understand why people are feeling so utterly isolated and dislocated right now because they literally can't go to the place where they have their primary relationships because their primary relationships are no longer in the home. They are in the office or, you know, or where they work at Parks and Rec.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a profound point you make there, Carmen, on that piece of it. And and it really shows another part of this puzzle is that people have begun to define family by the people that you love. It's no longer the nuclear biological family that defines family. It's who you choose to love. And that can happen as easily and readily in an apartment complex or an office, as you referenced, as it might be from your birth parents. And, you know, one last piece of it is... is is in not understanding maybe the power and the reason and the rationale for why god did create the nuclear family as male and female uh husband and wife and having the offspring come from the two of them and that defining family without having a really articulate view of why does that matter and why is that and how is that different from families that uh, are defined just simply by who you love without that we're going to naturally begin to drift into all these different forms that you so aptly described
0: so I have a family member who suggested that in, um, in the midst of this conversation, I consider checking out a show called This Is Us. Yeah. So there, there you go. That must be yep. the uh, modern family replacement. This Is Us. It absolutely right.
1: is. Yep.
0: You and I are going to leave that right there. We might return to this uh, at a later time. You and know, I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about relationships under stress during the COVID-19, I don't know, isolation process. We'll be right back. All right. Peter Kapsner is with me. Peter, um, let me just say that as a person who has been working from home now for a fairly long period of time um, and, you know, and I have strategies related to how to manage space and time and noise and interruption, um, it has been challenging to have everyone else also now uh, supposedly working from home, but without all of those sort of uh, practiced disciplines of working from home. Talk with us about uh, relationships under stress right now in our homes.
1: Yeah, well oh boy. I mean, right? I can't even imagine how many of your listeners right now are saying, Yeah, tell us about that because we we are feeling the weight of that right now because the shift has been so sudden. It's it's not like we made plans to say, Hey, look, why don't we go ahead and shift our work and our school life and uh, and think about this and pray about it for four to six months and start putting some strategies in place. I mean it was we went from we're heading to school, we're heading to work to lockdown around the country within the process of about 10 to 12 days. And and uh, that's a that's a pretty sudden and violent shift into a new set of circumstances. And, and so if people are feeling stressed, well, of course, I mean, anytime there's such a dramatic stress there or a shift, there's going to be stress. It would be weird if people weren't feeling stress in in the midst of all of this. And and so in, in that, I think. You know there's the the psychological word uh, to describe people who are in addiction uh, called escapism and the, again i'm sure many people are familiar with that idea that when you're feeling stress and when you're feeling issues and problems in your life, you're going to turn to something as a means of escape to just sort of avoid dealing with it. And most often in that realm, we're talking about some sort of foreign substance addiction where I'm going to escape to alcohol or escape to drugs. But escapism can take a lot of different forms. And, and I suspect, Carmen, that uh, because relationships are hard, uh, parenting is hard. It's, it's filled with joy. It's filled with sorrow. It's filled with wonder. It's filled with pain. It's filled with uncertainty. Uh, and marriages are hard. Uh, no matter how long you've been married, you go through those seasons, too, where it feels like uh, this is my soulmate for life. And I, I'm so grateful for everything, too. Are we even going to make it? And, and in those ups and downs, if you don't attend to them, one way you can escape it's just simply about becoming busy and, and not being even geographically in the same location. It's pretty easy to live a, a 30 or 40 year run in life where you're up by seven, you get your coffee, you eat whatever you're going to eat. Uh, you head out the door, you get home by five. Uh, if you've got kids, then you, you run off to the latest kids events and uh, maybe sit down and, and have a brief conversation at 930 or 10 o'clock and, and do, you know, sort of the hamster wheel all over again in that and, and I think we, we have been a country of escapism in a lot of ways because of that. And we haven't had to deal with maybe the stresses in the relationship because we could just go to work or school and then life just sort of, uh, happens and we drift apart. And and this whole situation has forced the, the reality of having to face some of these things, unless you decide that your escapism is that you get this room and, and I get this room and, and, uh, and we're just simply going to continue to maintain life apart. So, it's going to be stressful no matter what. Either you're going to try to maintain that sense of escapism if things are hard, or you're going to have to turn and and face the realities of some things that might be difficult as well. Um, that would be sort of the most extreme form. But but the other form is even if you are with people that you don't have any sort of relational rub going on right now, it's it's typically good and it's it's fun and you're grateful to all be together. And I think a lot of people fall into that category too you still fight. I mean, it's not any different than having a roommate in college who you enjoy. You, you live with somebody day in and day out. You're going to fight and there's going to be stress that happens there too. So there's there's a lot of different forms happening right now. And in the midst of that, there's always an invitation, right? There's If you're willing to accept it, there's always the invitation to say, so what do I bring to the table that let's just say is less than optimal? And and how could the, the potter uh, and heaven, maybe in the clay, begin to shape and mold me in these circumstances, so maybe I could become a better spouse or a better parent or uh, anything along those lines uh, but it's we 're certainly in the frying pan right now, I think all of us
0: <laughs> so um there 's a Wall Street Journal article that I just really want to encourage people to check out um, if 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 you 're interested um in this conversation, work from home veterans have had it. With you coronavirus rookies um and uh, it just literally goes into uh, into the homes of people where you know one one person got there first, right which is always true there's there's yep. always one one person who was working for home from home before others, even if it was a matter of weeks um, but in many cases, there are people who've been working from home for a fairly significant period of time. And they have their patterns. They have their routines. They expect everybody to leave at a certain time and return at a certain time. And that basically um, their their home office is a sanctuary in between those hours. And that's just not true anymore. And so we need to negotiate. We need to talk. We need to be honest about what we're feeling and how we're processing things. I think my greatest concern is that people are just extending um, the time in which they are Isolating from one another at home, yeah, um, because there are now an endless number of of opportunities to be online doing things with people who are outside your home. If what you're trying to do is avoid the people who are inside your home, and I see that as a as a rising concern.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. That's that escapism we talked about. Is that you really do have two options in this moment? You can, you can press into some things and and do the hard work around that, or you can just. Uh, tend to another form of escapism. And and you can certainly do that if you have enough rooms in your home. uh, You can just make your office not as far away and quite a bit smaller, but still be able to escape from others. And I just, uh, as as I think you would suggest too, I think it's a great invitation to maybe think about a new way of life moving forward and use the difficult time in this to to think how how could and how would I change and how could we as uh, our married couple or how could we in our relationships with our parents or, or our kids or whatever it might look like, how could we uh, see a different future that might be filled with a bit more uh, peace and love between us.
0: Amen. Peter Kapster, thank you as always for joining us today. Uh, give our affection to those within your household.
1: I absolutely will, Carmen. The one thing that we've noticed the biggest change is with uh, seven people in our household. I think I do 37 rounds of dishes a day now because we can't eat <laughs> out anymore.
0: It's totally true. <laughs> it's totally true. The know, sink right? is always, it's just so crazy, right? Yeah, constant. absolutely. The dishes constant. That's Peter Kapsner. I don't know. You can find him on Twitter at Dr. Peter Kapsner, but he doesn't really tweet.
1: We'll be right back. Someday I will, Carmen. It's coming. You know that.
0: <laughs> All right. I've added that to my weekend list. Jump shot movie. Jump shot um, I'm going to watch that. That sounds great. I'm also going to watch Inexplicable, which you can find on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which we featured yesterday on this show. All right. You and I live in an age of religious pluralism. We all know that. We don't necessarily know how to engage uh, conversations with people who, um, who hail from, let's say, Hinduism or who are Sikhs or Muslims or even people who are Jewish. We don't necessarily know how to identify um, the, the symbols within their system of faith that really uh, point to Jesus. And so do you know how to talk about Hindu avatars or Sikh gurus or Muslim prophets or even uh, the Jewish Messiah and help people see that that is the unknown God? Um, Well, I have uh, Matthew P. John with me next. He is the author of The Unknown God, A Journey with Jesus from East to West, and he's going to tell us how to do that, how to identify um, those symbols in other religious systems that actually really ultimately point to Jesus. That's up next. Here are Mornings with Carmen, we have three copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
1: In you are lost, you are found
0: Welcome back. I'm thrilled to be joined uh, today by Matthew P. John. Matthew uh, has a, a wide range of experiences and expertise. I'm actually going to let him tell us a little bit about himself. He's here today to talk about his newest book, The Unknown God, A Journey with Jesus from East to West. Matthew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Thank you, Carmen. I'm, I'm so glad that you invited me. Such an opportunity well, privilege.
0: Well, I'm just thrilled to have you here. Why don't um, Why don't we start with this? What makes world religions, first of all, just an interesting conversation topic? um, And then why did you, what led you to write this particular book?
2: Well, um, as you probably noted uh, from my biography, uh, per se, uh, that I was originally born in India, and I lived in the Middle East, and uh, now I live in the West, um, here in the U.S., Los Angeles. Uh, So in this transition from the East to the West, um, as you rightly pointed out, I've realized that the, the religions of the world uh, really exert a certain kind of control on our belief system, and it, in effect, it affects our social behavior. And uh, for me as a Christian, how do I relate to people of other religions or no religions at all and engage in a conversation uh, about Jesus Christ? Um, and is there a respectful way to do this? And this was the question from which the whole book and the journey started.
0: So your own experience actually is, um, is a wonderful window into the reality that not all of the world turns itself uh, to the living God and certainly does not understand Jesus in the same way. So um, yeah. let's do this why don't you introduce our listeners to the six major religions in today's world that you cover in the book and then and then we'll pivot and we'll talk about sort of how Jesus appears in some of them
2: yeah exactly well um as you just indicated there are major there are six major living religions in the world there are you know there are many religions obviously but not of, all of them are classified as living because uh, it is not, you know, they, they are not accumulating more um, um, recipients or uh, growing in its own theology and all that kind of thing. So, out of the six major religions, we have uh, one thing. I would, um, I would rather um, um, uh, a call for the listeners to go to our website, which is uh, www.themosaiccourse.org, dot the mosaic dot org, where we have developed a course on christian response to all these different religions it's a very respectful way of understanding the uh, foundational belief system of all these religions and how do we um, how do we find the redemptive grace in all these religions how how are they looking for god in their own understanding and obviously as you mentioned uh, they don't know jesus christ uh, but uh, they are all looking to a savior figure in their own religion, which has uh, an uncanny resemblance to the Jesus of the Bible. So, what we are trying to do is to talk to them about the Jesus they know. And one of the uh, one of the shocking revelation you will find when you study these religions or the people of these religions is that uh, no re- no no person of any religion so far in my own life experience um, has ever had any say anything bad to say about Jesus Christ, whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim uh, or a Sikh or a Buddhist. They all have a very respectful, if not reverential, understanding of uh, who the person of Jesus is. So the Mosaic course was developed uh, with the uh, with the idea that can we talk to them about the Jesus they know, uh, and use that as a messiological bridge to invite them to the Jesus we know? So that's the that's the basic premise of the mosaic course and the book, and the mosaic course is free. Uh, and it is available online 24/7 so that's one of the reasons. Uh, it might be much easier for the audience to uh, for the listeners to uh, to get a better perspective about what what i'm saying
0: so again that is the mosaiccourse.org um i am talking with matthew p john he is one of uh One of the people that I would say teaches at the MosaicCourse.org, there's actually just a a wide variety of really incredible um, people with whom he partners in this particular um, course, which started as the seminar, um, Jesus the Only Way. Um, We're talking today specifically about uh, Matthew's new book, The Unknown God, A Journey with Jesus from East to West. I do have copies of the book um, to give away. If you're interested in a copy, just text the word book to 877-933-2484 again text the word book to 877-933-2484 um, Matthew let's um, let's get into the book a little bit um, when you when you think about how God is made known in the person of Jesus Christ and then how you you use the reality that Jesus is present in these other religions but but in an unknown way let's just talk about that moment when you see the light come on for uh, a person who has not believed in Jesus in this way, and then comes to this saving knowledge. Talk about that moment.
2: Yeah, obviously, the title the unknown God comes from Acts chapter 17, where Paul goes to Athens, and he sees all these idols in their city, and, uh, and he has every right to uh, preach the full gospel, they are saying that idolatry is sin, and all these are pagan gods, Which, which, and he will be completely true if he says that. But instead, uh, this is exactly what he says, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Basically, he identifies an idol marked to the unknown god, which is actually one of the pagan deities they used to worship. But he used that as a missiological bridge, and he talked about Jesus without ever mentioning the name Jesus in the whole um, the Aerophogus or the Marcel sermon. So uh, the idea is that uh, there is a hidden revelations of Jesus or what I call in my book a Christ figure in, in all religions which is definitely not the Christ of the Bible. You have to come to the Christ of the Bible which is Jesus who is the only way to God. But the question there is, uh, the Bible is very clear about the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. There is no if and buts about it. It's very, uh, very clearly spelt out. Uh, But what the Bible doesn't insist is that there is not only one way to Jesus, right? Like, you know, there is only one way to God, which is Jesus. But can there be more than one way to Jesus? That's the question. So the unknown God in their culture became a pointer. Uh, to the Jesus of the Bible. In the same way, uh, what The Unknown God, my book does is, it goes to Hinduism. There's this concept of the avatar, where Hindus believe that God come down to this world as a human being which is a blasphemy according to Judaism and Islam, because they don't believe in the concept of God coming down as a human being, but Hindus do believe that. And then you go to, uh, which is a very Christian idea, right? Like, you know, God coming down as a human being, the avatar, the incarnation, we call it. And then you see the same kind of uh, Christ figure in Buddhism, which is called Bodhisattva. There is this entity who exists in the realm of Nirvana, which is the ultimate bliss, and then Samsara, which is the material world, who is kind of the mediator between the two. And then in the same way, I mean, obviously, you know, in Judaism, the whole idea of Messiah, who is a... Triumphant King and also a suffering servant, right? So the idea is, you as you journey through each religion, you see this kind of a redemptive savior figure who is not Christ, but some kind of a pointer to Christ, and that's why where you know I connected to C.S. Lewis, who basically mentioned, uh, who basically described Christianity as a true myth that's exactly what he called it uh, which means the mythology of all these religions became uh, it, it they all culminated in the figure of Jesus all these partial revelations of the savior figure uh, found its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ who is the ultimate self-disclosure of god so the that's the that's the shocking revelation or that is the that is the moment and that's the climax in which we realize that uh, there has been these traces of revelations which we uh, eventually culminate in the person of jesus christ so when i am introducing jesus to somebody i'm not i don't have to say that you know you're wrong you're wrong and you're wrong and i am right which which is kind of true, but at the same time, I'm also introducing them to a person uh, which is the fulfillment of their own religious hopes and their own expectation, which is fully revealed in Christianity. Does that make sense? It's a It's a little <laughs> a little confusing route to to the Jesus of the Bible.
0: No, it makes sense and you <laughs> unpack it beautifully. Um, again, the book is The Unknown God: A Journey with Jesus from East to West. The author is Matthew P. John. I do have copies here in the studio to give away. If you're interested in entering uh, the drawing for one of those, the number is 877-933-2484. All you do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. We're um, we're we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll continue our conversation.
1: Give
2: me faith
0: Continuing my conversation now with uh, Matthew John, he's the author of the Unknown God, a journey from uh, a journey with Jesus from east to west. We also want you to check out the Mosaic Course at themosaiccourse.org. dot um, Matthew, I want to ask you uh, a little bit about a story that you begin to tell on page twenty nine uh, and then continue on page thirty of the book. Talk about um, the town where you were born. And what is unique about your family, uh, your family history?
2: Yeah, that's interesting because, that, uh, the, uh, you know, when I wrote the book, The Unknown God, I didn't want to write another book on world religions, which tend to be very boring and 800 page long. So I used the narrative arc to tell the story of these world religions, or rather, I would say, the hidden revelations of Jesus in all these religions. Uh, so uh, I am originally I was born in a in a small town in India called Piravam which comes from the root word piravi, uh, which means birth. Now, the word birth, you know, the, 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 the title, uh, the name birth they use is indicative of the birth of Jesus. Because according to a part legends and part history, one of the wise men, who came to see Jesus at his birth. We know the famous Christmas story where uh, the wise men of the East came to see Jesus. And who are always kind of a mysterious figure to me, always in the Bible, who are these people? Obviously they are not Christians and they are not Jews. But somehow the ultimate revelation of the greatest thing that ever happened in this world, which is the arrival of God into this world, was revealed to these people who are outside the Judeo-Christian tradition. So for me, you know, because I was born in that city called Piravam, which which is believed to be the birthplace of one of the magi of one of the wise men, And actually, if you come to my little town in India, you're welcome. You're welcome to Google it, Piravam. And you will see a big cathedral dedicated to the Magi. There is a big uh, Christian population, very active Christian population in that little town in India. So so I wrote it as a a story of uh, me as one of the descendants of the uh, the Magi, obviously being in that town, you know, I'm using it as a poetic license, right, uh, as a journey of they took from the East towards the West, and that's how they found Jesus. Uh, and it is the same journey I took, too, from the East, you know, where I was born, then I lived in the Middle East, and finally in the West. So I kind of invite the readers on a journey and uh, the footsteps of the wise men who on that journey we travel through different religions and find this uh, partial revelations of Jesus or the Christ figures in this Jesus and realizing that they are not the fulfillment but eventually we comes to we come to the Jesus of the Bible to see the culmination or the fulfillment of this their their religious expectation um so yeah so that that's kind of the 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 twist or the or the narrative arc of the story. So it wouldn't be another boring book on world religion. Yeah.
0: Well and then you go on to tell this just really extraordinary uh story about what happened um at school when you were fourteen and I won't um I won't give all of that away, but it is um it is illustrative of, of the way that God reveals himself uh in the context of of people's lives and I, I just appreciate that. Um my re- my listeners know that I love uh appendices and epilogues and the things that come at the end of books. Talk with us about um the epilogue.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, um the the epilogue I mentioned uh, Hindu I mean actually the prologue and the epilogue are connected. Uh the story starts by me listening to a Hindu uh, uh, slogan we call it, or Hindu mantra, uh, which is actually a cry for help from God. Uh, it's a very famous Hindu prayer, uh, which goes something like Asadoma Sadgamaya, Mrityoma Gamaya, Tamasoma Gamaya, which essentially is calling, lead me from uh, the the uh, unreality or untruth. Uh, Or falsehood to truth, and lead me from life, from death to life, and lead me from darkness to light. And then, uh, you know, and then you hear the the scripture the Christian scriptures obviously responding to that uh, so it's a conversation from the prayer from a temple uh, being answered by the scripture reading from the uh, from the church so in somehow uh, some way um, I'm kind of making an argument to say that uh, the Christian scriptures fulfill the the cry for help or the or the uh, or the ultimate search for meaning, which is found in the Hindu uh, sacred scriptures. That—that uh, That is the, the, the uh, both the prologue and the epilogue, yeah.
0: Yes, and then that star that guided those wise men oh so long exactly. ago, still moving yeah. through the darkened sky beyond the horizons, its shimmering yeah. rays radiate the true light which enlightens every man. I am waking up. Those are the uh, concluding words of The Unknown God, A Journey from for, with Jesus from East to West by Matthew John. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. What a delight.
2: Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate it.
0: Let me remind our listeners, if you're interested in entering uh, to win one of the copies we have here in studio, all you need to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. So, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you doing? Let me know. Love to hear from you. Email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Text me at 877-933-2484. Thank you for all of those of you who are entering the drawing to win one of the copies of The Unknown God, A Journey from Jesus from East to West by Matthew P. John. Um, Lots of folks entering. It's a great book. Um, Wonderful to help us understand world religions and how we engage people of different worldviews. All right, um, let me hear from you today. Uh, you know, I'm home. I'm working from home. So probably are you. Send me an email, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Tell me what's helpful about what we're covering, what you wish we were covering that we're not, all those kinds of things. Be uh, be really encouraging for me to, um, to know that. All right, as we enter into this day, let us do so as saints. Let us remember who we are and whose we are and what in the world we're in the world to do. Have a great day and God bless.